Welcome to CII Radio. In this episode, we're talking to Ian Simons and Tally Shlomo. In this episode of the podcast, we're joined by Ian Simons, Marketing Director, and Tally Shlomo, People Engagement Director, both of the Chartered Insurance Institute. And we're talking about the gender pay gap in insurance and financial services. To find out more about this podcast and for useful links, visit thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Here's our conversation with Ian and Tally. Hello to you both and welcome to CII Radio. Thank you very much for having us, Luke. Thank you very much for coming. So we're talking today about the uh, gender pay gap in insurance and financial services. Tally, if we could kind of start quite broadly, could you kind of give us a, an overview of what the gender pay gap is um, and how it's calculated? Absolutely. So gender pay gap essentially describes the gap between the average earnings between all women and men in, in the working uh, organisation, the population, across different roles and job levels. It does not describe a difference in pay between women and men doing the same job. That is is equal pay. So what we're not measuring under the gender pay gap is equal pay, the two separate things. Positive gender pay gap describes the extent to which women earn less per hour than men, where negative gender pay gap describes the extent to which women earn more per hour than men. Okay. So Ian, you've published a a document called The Insurance uh, Gender Pay Gap. Two years on, are we going in the right direction? Are we going in the right direction? Uh, There isn't a quick answer, but if I have to give a quick answer, because we are pressed for time, I'm sure. Yes, but very slightly. Um, So we analysed 197 uh, companies across the insurance profession, and uh, the median pay gap, so median being one way of calculating it, you can also measure the mean, uh, but the simplest one is to take the the, the middle of of, of that gap and then average it across all the different firms. That's narrowed very slightly, very slightly from 24% to 23.2% over the year. It's definitely not going fast enough, but it's a slight improvement and there's a number of things that a lot of different firms are doing to try and get there. Okay, and um, so how have you gone about um, calculating um, the gap that you're reporting on? So we did quite an exhaustive job of actually looking at all, I think it's 10,000, uh, well, more than 10,000 firms that have reported the data and then went into segmenting which of those firms we saw as being in the insurance uh, and personal finance sector. So we've got 197 companies, that's a, that's insurers, it's insurance brokers, other kinds of intermediaries, loss adjusters, financial advisors, even business business process outsourcers who primarily service insurance. So 197 of those took all of their data uh, and then aggregated it across to get that average. So in 2017 and 18, uh, we decided to report on our gender pay gap, even though we fell beneath the government's minimum size of reporting. This was because we felt it both an opportunity for us to learn what more we can do to ensure we have policies and practices in place that are equitable and fair for our own colleagues and it is the right thing to demonstrate leadership to the wider profession. We then uh, led by this by collating the data and reporting on our pay gap. And in 2018, we disclosed that we achieved uh, a slight reduction from uh, 2017, which was a great achievement um, to have had. However, what it has done is enabled us to take further action and focus. As we know, it potentially will get worse before it gets better. Right. Okay. And could you tell us a little bit 
about the initiatives um, that the CIA have taken um, in an attempt to now narrow the gap? So we've taken several actions internally. Um, the first one I would say is we've looked at uh, mentoring. So we have two types of mentoring, informal, internally uh, for our colleagues. And then we've also participated in the 30% club mentoring. The last two years have illustrated that um, our women in our um, organisation are very keen to participate and several have, um, through the mentoring scheme, have either taken on new initiatives internally um, and have grown and developed in terms of their roles. We've also um, taken initiatives to look at our family-friendly policies and we've um, enhanced our uh, support. So we've introduced parental coaching for all colleagues as part of our fam family friendly support alongside the 16 weeks for pay for all colleagues. We're delighted to say that the first year of the parental co coaching, you know, 60% of women attended um, these okay. sessions yeah. uh, compared to 40% men. More importantly, flexible working is critical because as we know, everyone, um, irrespective of gender, um, colleagues will have caring responsibilities, either elder care or childcare, and having flexible agile working is critical. So we've introduced agile working internally, which seems to have supported um, flexibility around how the working week is um, carved out for an okay. individual yeah. to support them in their personal lives. So we really are focused on output and not presentism. We've also done a, a big piece of work on job levels, and that was um, it took us about 18 months to do. We worked with an external organization, so we looked at every role in the organization and repositioned accountabilities and provided clear definitions of what people do. And within that, uh, what tended to happen is that we also invited colleagues to participate in projects. And CII, whilst we're a small organization, there's a vast amount of opportunity to get involved in projects and work allocation is quite important within that. So that's kind of a, a snapshot of many of the initiatives we've taken that supported the gender pay gap to start to narrow for us at the CII. We also have looked quite heavily at how we appoint and recruit. Okay. Um, and we very much follow an inclusive recruitment process, uh, not only blind CVs, but we ensure that there's a gender balance at every stage of the recruitment process. And we ensure that there's a, a gender panel, um, gender panel mix um, to ensure that the applicants who join us or come for an interview feel that diversity is really part of what we do. It's part of the values that's driven through the organisation. You know, in the last 12 months uh, this year, we've introduced um, Action Learning in addition to all the other programmes. Action Learning is a, is a fabulous uh, tool that enables uh, cross-fertilisation of ideas, coaching and peer-to-peer -peer, uh, support um, to deliver uh, stretch uh, objectives and targets um, and and it's a very much a, a learning platform we've also um, been working very closely with our colleagues internally regarding uh, our ethnicity pay gap as I've shared earlier on and so we've we've developed our CII community um, in supporting us with our campaign um, for colleagues to feel that they can continue to contribute to our initiatives uh, in terms of their own pro promotion progression development um, but also also, more importantly, uh, or equally, is to um, support us in uh, creating a, a platform for colleagues to share their ethnicity uh, information, which is personal sensitive data. We have also working very closely with, with our profession, partnering with networks like Link, 
ICANN, GIN and IFN, which is the Insurance Families Network. It's all about how can we collaborate and partner to share our experiences, initiatives that work and learn from those opportunities um, to enhance the initiatives because this is a journey. We are very clear looking at the, the information that Ian has just shared. It's a journey that will continue to evolve and it will take at least five years before we start to see some significant changes. And it's the initiatives and activities behind those that will help galvanise to narrow the, the pay gap be it gender pay gap or ethnicity pay gap um how does the insurance profession compare with other sectors in terms of its gender pay gap so as i mentioned we we looked at 10,428 firms data and um sadly uh financial services as a whole uh comes a, a second only to construction in in having a a, a a particularly poor gender pay gap um so uh, insurance uh, is slightly less bad in that respect than the wider financial uh, services. So um, the median gap across all firms that published is 11.9%, which is got worse by uh, a slight amount from 11.8%. But bear in mind that only covers companies that have reported. So actually there are those in public sector who uh, aren't covered in that. So if you look at the, the UK average gender pay gap, it's uh, it's actually uh, closer to 9%. But as I say, we uh, uh, the, the insurance gender pay gap is um, uh, is relatively poor in comparison with, with many at that. So we've got a long way to go to improve. Uh, and only slightly better than construction, which is the worst. Right, okay. So within the insurance sector, um, do any particular subsectors perform um, particularly better or worse? Yeah, so as Tally was saying, um, the gender pay gap isn't about people being paid different amounts for doing the same jobs at the same level. And a lot of it is down to seniority uh, and imbalances in how many people uh, of different genders have uh, roles at different seniority levels and in certain uh, job roles. So there are certain uh, roles that are more likely to be male and female as well as different levels. And that can be seen also in different types of companies. So you can imagine a very small technically um, oriented organisation such as a financial advisor where there are lots of people who have to have earned uh, uh, their their authority and their um, uh, qualifications over a long period of time has probably taken a longer um, time historically to to balance out its genders. So financial advisors uh, have got a wider gender pay gap than insurance companies, for example, which have a a much broader range of roles. Uh, So you've got lots more support functions such as marketing or HR or finance, etc., which uh, may be one of the causes for that. So uh, loss adjusting also has a uh, a relatively wide uh, gender pay gap, uh, but that's also dropped the most. So that's gone back from 38% to 34.7% in the year. But it's also worth noticing there's only three companies that uh, had to uh, submit data in uh, loss adjusting uh, because uh, there are three very large firms and then quite a few small firms. And you only have to publish data on gender pay gap if you've got more than 250 staff. So I mentioned financial advisors. There's also dropped significantly. Um, So from 28% to 25.5%. And that was based on 23 firms. So obviously there's a huge huge number of much smaller firms out there that we don't actually see any data on. Could you say it is more of a question of a seniority gap rather than um, just a pay gap? That's definitely a big part of it. Um, there are 
fundamentally more women in less senior roles and more men in more senior roles. And interestingly, in the reporting data, it's not just the headline numbers you've got to publish, you've also got to publish the percentage of uh, men and women in different pay quartiles. So that really helps to show where the real problem is underlying. It's not, uh, it's not as Tally said earlier, that men and women are paid more for the same roles. It's about saying in uh, certain quartiles, in certain businesses, there needs to be a better a better balancing of male female um, staff. I, I would also add to that the pay quartiles provides a great platform for organisations to look at uh, their talent pipeline and how we can support our women, but also all all other diverse communities within each, each of those quartiles in their promotion and progression. So it's those quartiles are fundamental in in starting to define the action plan and the initiatives to support colleagues within the business. I mean, specifically at the moment, uh, if you look across the whole insurance sector, 59% of the lower quartile jobs are held by women and only 31% of top quartile jobs are held by women. So that shows uh, even if we are moving in the right direction, there's still quite a long way to go to balance out that, that, that um, gender gap. Okay, and um, and how much of a part do bonuses play um, alongside kind of actual salaries? That's a really good point because again, that's a, a separate set of data that companies have to publish. And interestingly, there isn't that much of a difference between the proportion of men and women who get bonuses in insurance, um, but more importantly and perhaps unsurprisingly, uh, it's the amount of bonus that men and women get. And that's probably a combination of both the seniority, so you're more likely to get a bonus if you're in a senior role, and the the proportion of that which might be performance-related or sales-related. It does tend to mean that uh, men get more than women. So the proportion of uh, men who have a bonus in insurance is 69.7% versus 67.6% of women, which isn't a great difference, uh, but it has improved a little... uh, year on year from 67.2%. As I said, the difference is in the amount they receive. The median bonus gap is currently 40.7% across the sector. So that's 40.7% more that men get through bonuses than women. So that's that's a significant proportion of the overall um, gap. The sector with the biggest bonus gap is in financial advice where men received a median of 49.3% more than women uh, and that's actually increased this year from uh, last year which was at 46.9%. So there's certainly still work to be done. Yeah. (laughs) Changing focus slightly, um, how has your work on the gender pay gap um, enabled you to prepare for the proposed ethnicity pay gap? Well, as you know, the government is now proposing mandatory reporting of companies' ethnicity pay gap in addition to their gender pay gap. We believe we still believe it remains the right thing to lead on, understanding and publishing our own data in advance of the requirements so we can help other employers with lessons learned. As with gender, learn how we can use our data to ensure we have policies and practices um, that are equitable and fair for our colleagues. So we have led on this. We've disclosed our ethnicity pay gap. What we have done is we've never up until recently collected the data. Uh, I'm delighted to say that um, with a very short and simple campaign, we achieved 70% um, submission from our colleagues okay. who volunteered their ethnicity uh, so that we can base our calculations. However, in that figure, we found that the five ethnicity categories didn't adequately represent um, 
our colleagues. And so it, it proved, proved a really good exercise because it's, it's illustrated how challenging ethnicity pay gap reporting can be. Yeah. However, what it has highlighted is how important it is as part of the DNI journey. And how did you go um, about collating the data and engaging with, with colleagues about that? Was it, did you find it challenging kind of collecting figures and getting people to, to, to re respond to you? So what we did is we, we have an executive sponsor who sits on our leadership team. Okay. Um, and he worked very closely with us in HR, um, in all our communications and campaign to support colleagues to appreciate why we're doing this and understand how their data will be used. Um, ethnicity is a personal sensitive data and we need, whilst we need to comply with GDPR, we also need to be sensitive to individuals on yeah. how they resonate and connect with their own ethnicity. So we spent some time um, with our executive sponsor really writing campaigns, sharing that, but also we've been on the DNI journey for a while. So we've run some initiatives that made this a next uh, natural part of our journey. And kind of one kind of final general point, is there any other advice you can give to, to our listeners on perhaps they can support a zero pay gap? I think it's some amazing initiatives um, that I've seen take place in yeah. many organisations and it can range anything from role models. I think role models is um, exceptionally powerful. Um, we've seen that um, not only in gender um diversity we've seen it in lbgt diversity um so i think our models is critical because what it does is it's it's it supports us on our journey but i think it's tangible actions um how do we support the development and the promotions of our colleagues how do we um, allocate work yeah. are we still allocating work what once used to be stereotypical gender bias roles okay. so, so it's really looking at those and challenging what once we used to think about um, was quite natural. And I think unconscious bias comes into some of this, um, yeah. challenging our own unconscious bias. So we all have biases and I think, you know, we should all recognise that we do. Yeah. And once we recognise that we do, it's challenging our own biases um, to just say and question, is that the right outcome? Is yeah. that the right action we want to take? Okay, um, well, to find out more about this um, and to read the report which uh, Ian and Tally have referenced today, um, you can visit the CII website and look for the Diversity and Inclusion Subject Gateway on the Learning Hub. Thank you both for coming in and joining us on CII Radio. It's been a great insight into the gender pay gap and obviously the, the work being done um, and to do in the future. So thank you, Ian, and thank you, Tally. Okay, um, to find out more, you can visit thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts, or you can follow us on Twitter at CII Group. Um, so until next time, thank you for listening to CII Radio and goodbye. <laughs>